spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. Crash landed. From comics to video games. From the cinematic universe to television. Connecting you to the biggest stars in the industry. Something out there had discovered us. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. Breaking new ground and honoring those who have served. It is episode 341 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham, and you know how excited I was about The Liberator on Netflix. I talked about the trailer a couple of shows ago, and guess what? Yeah, I went out, I, I had to learn more about the show, so I figured who better to ask than the star of the show who plays Felix Sparks, Bradley James, going to be joining me this week to talk about The Liberator on Netflix, which is going to be coming out on Veterans Day. And it's the first show ever to be done in Triscope. We'll find out what's going on with that, what that's all about. But if you saw the trailer and you saw how beautiful it was, yeah, I, you should be watching it for that alone. But we'll talk to Bradley about more about the character and, and get a little bit more insight in the show from him. Also going to do something a little bit different in, in, a, in, in our review, review this week. I'll talk about that in a second. Got a couple of big comics from DC and Marvel that we're going to review and nerd news. Yep, movies being delayed again. Can't avoid talking about it this time, so we'll get to that here in a couple minutes. But first, how about my spoiler-free review of the HBO Max series, Two Weeks to Live? We'll start out with that next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey, this is Angelica Washington from DC Stargirl, and you're listening to Down and Nerdy Podcast. So is the clock ticking or is it not? I thought I'd do something different this week and do a review of the new HBO Max series, Two Weeks to Live. It stars Maisie Williams. This is her first role post-Game of Thrones. And it basically deals with a young woman who's played by Maisie Williams, Kim Noakes, who is kind of on a secret mission to honor her father who died under mysterious circumstances when she was a young girl. That's the very basics of what the series is about, given this to us from HBO Max. I know that this show has already kind of started to air in the UK before, already, and it's been out for a few days now on HBO Max. Still want to do this spoiler-free, though, so no spoilers in this review. And I got to say, I wasn't sure what to expect from this series going in other than what I saw on the trailer, but there's a lot of charming performances in this show that that just work for me, like, like Nikki and Jay. The two brothers, uh, just something about their dynamic is really, really fun for me. And from, I mean, from the first episode and and Maisie Williams character, Kim herself is a very interesting and fun character, too. She's very quick witted. She's very naive, too, though, but she's strong at the same time. She's every end of the spectrum that you could possibly think of. But, I mean, she's kind of led a sheltered life. That's part of it. So it's not really her fault per se, but it's just she's such an, you know, one end or the other of the spectrum character. But at the same time, she's growing up on the fly while she's literally off in this quest to basically avenge her father's death, for lack of better way of putting it. So, and, and you know, her mom comes to, into play in this as well, who named Tina, who's played by Cyan Clifford, and who also does an amazing job. And what's most interesting to me about this show is how it seems simple in the beginning, right? And the title's kind of misleading, I will tell you that. It, it seems it seems so simple in the beginning, and then as each episode passes, watching things start to unravel more and more, 
and the scope of what's going on between this now group dynamic just starts to expand and expand. There, there's a lot of hilarity in that, and it, it continues to make the story interesting as well. There was a, there was one moment in particular in the second episode where something happened that I did not expect at all, and it changed the vibe of the story quite a bit. And it also ended up ended up in some not necessarily purposeful comedic moments, but I certainly thought that they were funny. And there are times where you're going to watch a show and you'll be like, this is, this is kind of ridiculous. And I agree. But that's one of the things I love about it. There are so many ridiculously funny moments in this show. It's not quite like Naked Gun type ridiculous, right? If you were thinking about a movie like that where it's almost like a parody of certain things. It's not a parody. But at the same time, you're, you're thinking, you, you, you see certain things that happen during the show and you kind of laugh at it because you're like, really, that's your reaction or something like that? Or just the byplay between a couple of the characters. And I will say that I enjoyed the hell out of the interna- inter- interaction between Maisie Williams's character and Sean Pertwee's character of Jimmy in the show. And this is a side, if you're a Gotham fan, this is a side of Sean Pertwee you're not going to be used to seeing. I could tell you that right now. And, and I, I certainly enjoyed that performance from him. But I, again, just watching the way that this thing unravels was so, so interesting to me. And I, I'll admit that I don't laugh out loud as much as I would like to when I'm watching when I'm watching certain shows. But this one, I laughed out loud quite a bit, especially in the first few episodes. I don't know if it was like the circumstances under which I was watching it in or because, you know, maybe, you know, I needed a break from the craziness. You know what I'm talking about? But this show was legitimately funny. And it, if you want to call it a dark comedy, I think that that's pretty accurate. I think that I would describe this as a dark comedy. And again, it's something a little bit different from Maisie Williams as well. Certainly different than what we're used to seeing from Game of Thrones. Although there was kind of a probably not on purpose Game of Thrones finale Easter egg in this thing. And you might not catch it, but it's in the first episode of the show. That that much. Uh, well, no, wait a minute. It's in the second episode. I'm sorry. So it's in the second episode of the show during a fight scene. So just keep that in mind as you're watching this show. And and hey, maybe I misread it. Maybe I made more out of this particular scene than it actually was. It's really quick, and I'm wondering if you guys are going to catch it too. But I mean, there's there's not much else to say about this show other than. It, it it it's funny, it's quick witted. There's a there's a you know you want to call it ridiculous. Fine, I don't think it is ridiculous. I think it's a it's a fun show that you can sit back and enjoy. But it's also not the greatest show in the world either. I would give it a more than fifty fifty chance. I mean, I would probably put it maybe six and a half seven out of ten if I had to put a number on it. But I mean. I mean, it's certainly not Maisie Williams' Zaria. I could tell you that right now. And that's not a bad thing, too, by the way. It really isn't. You have to know that, you know, she's on the next chapter of her career and stuff like this. And you could see how she could move past Game of Thrones and doing shows like this and playing roles like this. And it's okay to just freaking have fun every now and then, right? That's something that you kind of lose sight of. When it comes to TVs, you could just freaking have fun with it. And I think that she certainly did with Two Weeks to Live, which is now streaming on HBO Max. Curious to hear what your thoughts might be on it. 
That's going to do it for my spoiler-free review of Two Weeks to Live. Up next, we're going to talk to Bradley James about playing Felix Sparks on Netflix's The Liberator. We'll talk about that next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey, guys, it's Larissa Tronco from Netflix's The Order, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, you guys know when I talked about the trailer how much I was looking forward to The Liberator on Netflix. going to be coming Veterans Day here in America, November the 11th, and this guy plays a very key role to, to, I mean, it's kind of an understatement. It's Bradley James. Bradley, what's up, man? How you doing? James, I'm doing very well, and I'm experiencing great pleasure to be able to talk with you today. Thank you very much. Thank you, man. Now, before we actually dive into the story of The Liberator, I want to talk about the fact that this series is going to be unlike anything that we've ever seen before, literally, because what was it like, actually, when you first saw the finished Triscope product, and were there any differences while you were filming to tackle that first bit, that when I first saw the Trioscope effect, I saw it in stills. Greg Yonkaitis, the director, had shown me stills. And I noticed straight away that it is a very different experience seeing it in a still than it is to when you see a moving image. And I didn't really get a, an idea of what it, what it was. I liked the look of it, but I didn't really get a sense of the movement, a sense of the life that was, was what I was looking at. Then he showed me a little snippet. We met for lunch and he showed me a little snippet and the details Mm -hmm. that were in there blew me away. I'm talking about dust particles in sunbeams. It was beyond anything that I expected. And I'd seen the show edited without all the treoscope, without any of that put on it. And I I was blown away by that because the the story grabbed me. I, I... I've always been, I suppose, quite vocal about how much I love the script from the very second I I picked it up. And that was brought to fruition in this version of the show that was basically like watching a play in a way. And I thought to myself, this works just as us essentially being on a a stage. I can't imagine what it's going to be like when the trioscope comes in. And then as soon as I saw it, it blew me away. And the trailer... I'll probably repeat myself a few times over the course of the next few weeks. I was bawling my eyes out, James. Mm-hmm. When I me too, me too. Whole trailer. There's a resonance in there to uh, something that Felix says at the end. And he says, my darling Mary, you hear my voice catch already. Yeah, as I, there it is, yeah. My darling Mary, if ever I go uh, silent, even when I'm, if, if ever I seem to leave you, even when I'm right, right beside you, you'll know where I am. And there was a huge commonality between those lines. I carried them the whole way through the shoot because I knew that everything that Felix was going through would lead to the rest of his life having those moments where he would be back there at a, at a moment's notice. And there was, there was a commonality with so many accounts that I was made, that I, that I researched and uh, you know, watch veterans speak about their experiences. And there, there was always some version of that that they spoke of. It wasn't the same wording or what have you, but it, it seemed to be so common, so familiar with people. And so when that came up in the trailer, I was a mess. I was a mess, James. I, I'm, I'm, I'm pleased no one was around me because it would have been about... <laughs> uh, thankfully, I was by myself. One of many moments. Wait till you guys see it, actually. Now, there's actually, I mean, there's been a ton of stories about World War II, uh, obviously, over the years in, in film, television, on stage, as you said. How would you say that The Liberator itself 
kind of sets itself apart from those other stories. You're right. There's been a, there's been a lot of coverage on it. It's obviously a huge part of our history, huge part of our history. And I think probably made important by the idea that I think the words are something of those who forget the mistakes of the past are hereby deemed to repeat them or something along yep. those lines. And I think there's something in the story of World War II that there is a need to repeat the story and to repeat the, the learnings that we, we have come away from that whole situation with as we get further away from the incident. This story in particular focuses on Felix Sparks, but Felix was a guy who found himself in a position of having a company of men who were deemed by, let's say, society or certainly the dynamics of the army as misfits. And sometimes it was a case of people who were just uh, slightly unruly, just in, in nature. However, there were also, you found yourselves with Mexican Americans, Native Americans, sort of cowboys, if you will, who perhaps didn't fit in to the dynamic of the 1940s structure of what the army was, what American society was. And so society didn't give them as easy a ride as, as everybody else. We're, it, you know, it's something that we can relate to today. There is plenty going on in the world right now where we can relate to the idea of Mexican-Americans, Native Americans being in a situation where they are not receiving favorable treatment, let alone equality, as it were. Felix, he grew up in, uh, he spent a lot, large part of his schooling in Miami, Arizona. His school was like over half uh, Mexican-American. He, he had an exposure to different cultures, which I think served him very well when it came to leading men and understanding them and, and wanting to get the, the best out of them. And I think when you are in a situation where the people above, I know I've experienced this and I experienced this on The Liberator, when the people above you, in this case, you know, usually the producers or, or director, whoever, mm -hmm. are giving you everything and they show that they are there for you, you in return, or I, I, certainly, I certainly experienced this. I, I, I know a lot of people, I think, who probably go through the same thing. You want to do your best for them. No doubt, and yeah. You, in fact, there, there are parallels, I'm sure, James, that you'll, you'll, you'll have experienced as well, where you want to give your absolute best for that person who has shown that despite a difference in rank, they will do that for you. And I think that's how Felix inspired a lot of these men by showing them he would die for them, he would do anything for them. And he was able to bring together a group of men, as I say, that society didn't have as much time for. This is a story we haven't really been told about the war. There's granted the numbers aren't statistically very high of the involvement, but but there's still those stories are still there and they just haven't been they just haven't been touched upon yet. And now is as, as good a time as any to to tell that story. Absolutely, man. Now, how much of the, obviously this is a, a great war story, but at the same time, how much of this story do you think is also just as much about the togetherness of that group of the 157th Battalion, 45th Division, just as much as it is about the war itself? That's a good question, James. I think, I think a lot of people watching will probably relate to the bond that is formed. I certainly think a lot of people in the military will be able to relate to it very quickly. I think when you're put into extreme circumstances and, and my level of extremity that I've experienced has obviously not reached the extremity of people in World War II, but I think a, a, a bond is very quickly formed and it's, just, it's a strong one because of those extremities. We 
are also at a time perhaps politically when we a lot of people are searching for a degree of unity amongst men the race of men as a whole so i think that there is a lot of resonance in this story and as you say i think that will probably be an element that will will speak to people because i think there is i'm not sure if joy is quite the right word but when you experience that yourself, it's, it's a very wonderful feat. My, my predominant experience with that, I suppose, is with sports teams, you know, that's to simplify, yeah, you, go, yeah. you know, uh, there's, there's a, the bond you form in sports teams sort of gives you a, a, a feeling of community, a sense of belonging. I, I think we all, there's a, there's a human desire, I think, for that sense of belonging in, I would say most people at the very least. And as I say, because of that, this story will, resonate with people in that way so i would never ask you to choose any of these brave soldiers as like your favorite or anything like that but at the same time i got i can't help but wonder you know at playing the the commanding officer in this sense felix works in getting to know pretty much all of these men were there a couple mm. of stories that kind of really stood out to you as you were shooting the series that just struck you as really interesting kind of tread carefully here so you uh yeah, so not, a little careful, little careful. Spoiler, but i think there is a well, let's take, for example, the title of the show. It's called The Liberator. On the face of it, you think, right, this is a guy who liberates people in a concentration camp. There's sort of a, a common knowledge about that. But as people watch the show, they'll realize it's not just them being liberated. Without delving too much into the, the story, I would say one, one part of the story which people, I think, may have an awareness from, from the trailer is that Felix Sparks had an option pretty early on through his many days, over 500 days in the battlefield. He had the option very early on to go home. He was injured. He received essentially what is a million dollar wound. And they said, right, you're done. You've got your ticket home. And I think there are a lot of men. I, I, would, I would question myself. Sure. I, there are a lot of men who would take that ticket. Felix felt such a degree of duty towards his men who had given him so much by that point that he went back into the fold. And, and this isn't a cushy officer's job at the, at the back of the line. He went straight back to the front lines mm -hmm. and dug in and fought with his men. They were cold, it was wet, it was horrible. They were being shot at every minute of the day. These were not conditions that you would easily subject yourself to. And yet he felt such a, such a sense of duty towards this group of men. And I found that astounding because it would have been so easy for him to, to walk away. But I think where I related to him is there is a, there's probably a degree of conscience that I probably share with him actually, in that he would have had to have spent the rest of his life knowing within himself that he could have gone back out there to help out and would he have been able to live with the guilt of that and i i think i share i was able to relate to that pretty easily because i i, I don't think i could live with the guilt for the rest of my days mm -hmm. of knowing that i'd left those men who'd, who'd served me so well behind absolutely man we're talking to bradley james who of course plays felix sparks on the liberator which you can see wednesday november the 11th exclusively on Netflix. Bradley, I can't help but wonder, as I, as I was watching this, I got to see it a little bit early, uh, there's just so many intense scenes, which you would expect from a story like this. 
does it kind of hit you even harder? You actually touched on this in the, in the very beginning. Does that hit you even harder knowing that this happened to an, this is based on a true story. This happened to an actual person, actual people in battle. Did that make it even more emotional for you? There's a word that you hear a lot when it comes to people describing the service given by the military. And it is the word sacrifice. And because that word is used so often, it's one of those, it's one of those ones that the meaning can get lost a little bit because the repetition of that word loses its power. So naturally you come to a story like this and you go, wow, there's a lot of sacrifice here. Or when I read Alex Kershaw's book, I am suddenly getting an insight into the depth of the sacrifice, which even having read the book, having researched this, that, and the other, having watched whatever I could get my eyes on in terms of accounts of the war, people's experiences, I don't think anyone today, or I certainly think the vast majority of people on the planet today would struggle to be able to fully understand what it is that those guys were going through. There may be, you know, a handful of people who've been through situations as serious, but certainly, you know, not in, in America, I don't think there will be too many people who'd be able to, to relate to the depth of sacrifice that Felix and so many men had to go through when it, when it comes to World War II. And it was eye-opening. It was humbling, I think, beyond anything else. I can only imagine, man. Now, we get to see a lot of tactical elements at play here in the series, but also a lot of elements of strategy. And I mean, even, you know, the training aspects at times. I mean, you're no stranger to combat on screen. There's no doubt, no doubt about that. But talk about any specific training you had for the role. And did you have any like military advisors working with you all to make these scenes as authentic as possible? We did. I mean, the first thing that happened is we, <laughs> the first thing that happened, James, we turned up, we got in the makeup chair Trioscope makeup is slightly different. There's a, there's a heavier element to it, and it's a lot harder to get off your face at the end of the day. And it was for a makeup test, and they, they went for it. My face was plastered, and it, wow. it would never, they would never put that much makeup on again for the rest of the shoot because they, they sort of realized they'd overdone it. But immediately after we had that makeup test, which, as I say, I couldn't get it fully off my face. I looked like an off-duty drag queen at this point. It was really <laughs> They get us in a car and we drive out to the middle of nowhere and we find ourselves in a shooting range. And this shooting range had every gun going. And myself, Martin and Jose found ourselves firing off round after round after round. Wow. And I, I cannot begin to explain how helpful that was because I've, I have a limited experience with firearms but some of the weapons we're using are you know much more serious than anything i've had in my hands before mm. and obviously then when we're getting on a set you know we're not firing off live rounds or anything of that nature so you have to have a sensoric experience of what that is so that you can replicate it as best you can that was crucial we also had a chap um a polish chap who it turns out was very well versed in American military history um, in terms of there are a few moments where certain hand signals need to be given and straight away he was like yeah it's this and he'd you know essentially do military sign language for whoever it was who needed to del deliver this message we were very well looked after on that front any questions we had and I, I 
if you'll allow me, James, I'll pay a lot of credit to the, the chaps at Trioscope. I think also any studios and Netflix are very much wrapped up in this, this as well. But the chaps at Trioscope, there were no, any gray area, any issue we had, any question we had was answered. And they were there to provide any and all information we could possibly need. So that was for an actor. When you have access to something like that, it makes your job so much easier and you can focus more on, on other elements of it. You're, you know, you're happy as Larry when you, when you find yourself, or you're, or you're certainly confident of what you're doing. And, and I think you see that in a lot of the performances, a lot of some very talented actors uh, in the show. I can only imagine, man. Now, before, Bradley, before I let you go, obviously you never got a chance to meet Felix Sparks. Obviously he's, he's passed on long before this series got a chance to, to get going. If you had gotten a chance to speak with the man, what would you have said to him? That's a tricky one, James. I think it, it could have been a very heavy conversation because I, I would have liked to, whether I would have had to have judged the room, uh, read the room beforehand, but I would have liked to have asked him about Anzio. Again, without sort of like dipping too much into the, the spoiler bucket, I will, I will say that Anzio is again something that I carried with me through the whole shoot. It's a very poignant moment. It's told in a certain way in The Liberator. There are elements to it in the book, which uh, I, I don't think I have the words to describe the, the magnitude of this, this, this moment in, in that man's life. So if he'd have been in the right mindset for a conversation about it, I would have loved to have, uh, well, loved is a strange word to use, but I would have been very interested to speak to him with regards to Anzio. And I can't think of a better day to watch The Liberator on Netflix than Veterans Day here in America, November the 11th. Make sure, I mean, it's a, it's a quick binge. It's a, it's four episode miniseries and, and you're not going to be able to stop. Block off some time because I couldn't either when I, I watch it all the way through. And this guy's performance as Felix Sparks, amazing. Bradley James, thank you so much for joining me this week, man. James, you just made me blush with your compliments, <laughs> but thank you very much for your time. I appreciate it, man. Really do. Hey, this is Jeff Lemire, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Time for a little comics therapy. Whatever you're reading on, it's time for what we're reading and a return that is seemingly years in the making. That's right, Sweet Tooth, the return, number one from DC Comics. Jeff Lemire back doing the writing and the art for this one, of course, being the creator of the series. Speaking of returns, how about Jose Valarubia coming back for the colors here and Steve Wands? doing the letters now this book actually takes three takes place 300 years in the future but i mean it doesn't really look like the future at all at least not that much anyway and we have this boy who is you know of course has deer antlers you know that's having strange dreams but he also appears to be trapped in some sort of like religious cult type of situation some spoilers here by the way in this review just a tad so not not a ton of spoilers but certainly some so tread tread a little carefully here in 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 my review so he's slowly kind of starting to realize that something's not right and that he's seemingly being controlled by his father and i can't put father in air quotes enough in this particular situation something just feels very strange about these circumstances it's it's very odd feeling so it, it definitely put me at a bit of unease when i was reading this and and it kind of gets to the point and this is probably the biggest spoiler i'm going to give you where he actually makes a run for it and discovers a couple things that could really alter the story quite a bit going forward, especially since, you know, something that had to do with his dreams 
is involved in this as well. So that, that's something that I can at least tease for you. I won't, I won't spoil that, what actually happens right towards the end of the book here. Now, you can tell a lot of care was put into this story. And if you were a fan of the original Sweet Tooth, you'll recognize certain things here and there for sure. There is no doubt about that. I mean, the art and colors feel like they've been stepped up a bit, though, in this one. Almost like, you know when you've missed something that's been gone for a while and it's like yours and you bring it back, you really want, you, you put a little bit of extra into it, right? Because you've missed dealing with these characters in these settings and stuff like that. And that's what it feels like Lemire and, and Bella Ruby were doing here. They just put, like, like they put a little extra touch on everything here and it, and it really stepped things up a bit for me, actually. The mystery itself, it kind of feels like it's at the very, very beginning. It's like we're almost getting, it's like getting a bite of the pie before you just eat, decide you're going to eat the entire pie in one sitting. And that I feel like that's what's going to happen as these issues start to unfold for Sweet Tooth, especially with the next one. It's like, yeah, so I'm just going to end up eating this whole pie because you're going to be looking forward to the next issue more and more with each passing issue. So I'm going to go ahead and throw this one in the poll box. I have every confidence that Sweet Tooth Return is going to be a worthwhile read month after month. Speaking of worthwhile reads, here's something I was really looking forward to when it was announced by Marvel not too far back. It's Wolverine Black, White, and Blood, number one. Of course, you know, it's black and white, and the blood is the red. So you're going to see red accents in this book. There's actually a few different stories in here, so I'll give you the creative teams for each. It's The Beast Within Them is the first one. Jerry Duggan doing the writing on that one. Adam Kubert on the art. Also does the cover art for this issue, by the way. Frank Martin on the colors for that one. Then I Shall Be a Wolf. That is written by Matthew Rosenberg. Joshua Casara on the art and Guru EFX on the colors. Then you have Cabin Fever by Declan Shavley writing art and colors on that one. Clayton Cowles doing the letters for everything. This collection of stories is actually very, very interesting. And and I think the one that stuck out the most to me was the Rosenberg story. It was kind of a, not too many spoilers here, but it was a Hydra capture. There turned out to not be much of a capture at all sort of thing. It just, it was classic Logan for me. That was the, that was the story out of the three that stuck out as more, as the most classic Logan moment to me and they're all visually striking and it's amazing how much red pops out on a black and white page it really really does and and the way it was used throughout not just like for bloody scenes but for other things as well and it it just completely diverts your eye to whatever that is and and some of those were very very deliberate some not so much too but some were very very deliberate especially in that first story with with, with Duggan's story right there at the end. Man, what a what a visual that was at the end of that first story. The way the tale actually unravels was very clever, though, in that second story, and the pace was, was really perfect, I thought. And just everything about this book, it was just an enjoyable read from start to finish. I mean, the action sequences were ramped up by the art style, the intensity as well, I thought, was really brought out more by that red accent. and I mean, you had everything in this issue from Weapon X to actually seeing a softer side of Logan at one point as well. So you got new stories next month, brand new creative teams in December as well. So I can't wait to find out what this next group does with Wolverine Black, White, and Blood. And give me that second issue right now. Yeah, throw this one to the poll box too. 
That's going to do it for what we're reading. Up next, how about a little bit of nerd news? Not a ton of it, but we'll get to the biggest stories next. I'm James Witham, and this is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey, what's up, guys? This is Kevin Alejandro from YouTube. You're listening to Down and Nerdy Podcast. Closer and closer to a realization that it might just be time to call it. It's time for nerd news. And no, I'm not talking about the thing that you think I'm talking about. I'm talking about the movies because Deadline was the first to report this week that Disney has finally pulled the last two movies off of their 2020 calendar, major releases that is, in the theaters. And that's right, Free Guy from Ryan Reynolds, of course, and Death on the Nile, which was supposed to star Gal Gadot, both being pulled from the schedule. They're both supposed to come out in December. Now they're not going to. They have not been given future release dates just yet. So Wonder Woman 1984, the only movie, major movie release still on the docket for theaters, which would be on Christmas Day. So first let me comment, and, and I, I know I said I wasn't going to talk about this stuff anymore, but it, now we're getting to the point where it's hard to not talk about it because you're starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel now. And I will say that one thing that Disney did right here, and... And and I've criticized them and a lot of other movie studios about this in the past was that at least as of me recording this on a Thursday evening, they have not given those release dates to Free Guy or Death on the Nile yet. And that's the way to do it, I think. You have to give things. Pull from the schedule seems like a very wrong way of putting it because that implies that that the movie is in danger of not being released at all. So I but that's typically the term that you go with in this situation. But not giving these movies release dates until you're almost certain that they're going to come out is the right way to go because quite frankly, there's just no way to know. You know, you talk about all these different waves of COVID nineteen and whatnot and what you know, what the restrictions are gonna be in certain states and in the country and all these other things and, and we're not gonna get into a political discussion about that. But what I'm saying is you there's still major question marks on how movies are going to get in theaters with people and actually start making money for the studios, for the theaters, everybody involved, because that's what these movies need to do. These movies need to make money. And, and you know, I'm not going to get into the debate of whether or not, you know, on demand is the way to go for the future, things like that. I'm just not going to get into that debate again. I've been down that road already before but here's what should happen and and as much as i hate to say this because i'm i'm angry enough about the whole wonder woman thing as it is it's time to it's time to call it it really is it's it's time to just say that wonder woman 1984 is not coming out on christmas day if things were looking better and and it looked like you know we're kind of nearing the end of the road or at least having a safe period of the covid 19 infections then i would say you know just leave it there but clearly, I mean, even if things are night and day better in December than they are right now, depending on where you live, of course, I'm still not sure it's worth releasing this movie in 2020 in theaters. I, I just I, I just don't. I don't know. Now, again, the danger is, is you're log jamming 2021 and, and none of us is going to have the cash to see all of these movies anyway. So maybe you, you can make the argument that these movies are still not going to make what they're supposed to make because people just aren't going to have the money to go see a thousand movies in 2021. And that's it. I, I say that jokingly, but it's starting to seem like that's how many freaking movies are going to be coming out in 2021. And nobody's factoring that in, in these decisions. It seems like nobody's factoring in the fact that 
There are so many movies now. Movies that were already scheduled to come out in 2021, a lot of them still are. Now you're pushing almost, you know, half, if not more, of 2020's releases into 2021. I mean, something's got to give, and it's not going to be our wallets. I can tell you that right now, because you've only got but so much money, and I doubt you're going to have a huge... I mean, obviously, you're going to want to do more things once it's safe to do so, right? You're going to be spending most of your money on doing anything because you're you're just able, right? Totally understand that. But how much of that money is going to be spent solely on movies and movie going in theaters? That is to me the million dollar question. And I'm not sure that I'm not sure. I'm just not sure it's going to be a ton. So I, I think that you could almost slash the the box office of a lot of these movies anyway. Certainly not as much as you would if you were trying to do this in a theater it's like 20% capacity or something like that. I get it, but you're just, this whole situation sucks. I mean, there's no other way to put it, but at the same time, this is this is where we're at right now, and there's not really a whole lot that we can do about it either. So, again, I think it's time to just not release any major movies in 2020. You know, check the temperature of the room in 2021 and see where you're at, but I, I don't know. I, I wish I could say that I knew when this whole thing was going to be over. I think we're ready for it, but I just don't see it anytime soon. And what that's going to mean for movie theaters, I think, again, we're, we won't find out until 2021. Here's some news that we can actually confirm. Now, we kind of already knew this, and I've gotten into this a little bit in the past too, but Lashana Lynch did an interview with Harper's Bazaar not too long ago this week, and has confirmed that her character of Nomi is going to be the new 007 in No Time to Die. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're looking at me saying, James, we already knew that. We, we figured that out already. Well, it wasn't necessarily confirmed by anybody. And now it has been. And it's a slow news week. Give me a break. It's just one of the, one of the things that seems like it'll be interesting to talk about. And, and again, this to me is an opportunity for this James Bond franchise. We're going into the 25th James Bond movie. It's a major milestone. It's going to be David Craig's last hurrah as James Bond. And here's the opportunity that they have here. They have the opportunity to do this movie, and you know there's going to be another James Bond. You just know that there is. But here's the opportunity to let that character rest for a little bit because I don't see the point in going from Daniel Craig rebooting this thing again to have another James Bond and start from scratch again. Because that's usually what you do when a Bond leaves, right? You start from scratch and then you go from there with this new Bond. And that's fine, by the way. There's nothing wrong with that formula. I just don't understand why you would rush that. Especially, let's say Lashana Lynch's character of Nomi is amazing in this movie in No Time to Die. And I have no reason to think that she won't be. But let's just say that she is, for the sake of argument. Why wouldn't you capitalize on that popularity and have your new 007? Why don't you have her lead a couple movies before you have another James Bond movie? You don't have to keep her as 007 forever, right? But this is your chance to have a you know female 007 leading a 007 movie. And again, I'm going to say this one more time from the cheap seats. 007 is not a person. It's not a guy. It is a title. It is a moniker. It is a badge of honor 
for those who are serving under that service. It is not a dude. James Bond just happens to be 007, but in no time to die, he's walked away. So they've found a new 007 in Nomi, and that's where we're at in No Time to Die. Where that, What's going to happen with that going forward? I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. We have to see the movie first to figure that out. But I, I think it's really important to make that distinction. So if you continued with Lashana Lynch as 007 in this Nomi character, you do two movies with her, maybe three, depending on how popular it gets, and then that gives you a good opportunity to get a fresh start with James Bond and do this new James Bond franchise. And that also takes the pressure off of you picking somebody that's currently active to play James Bond. It gives you a chance to find a young up-and-comer who will be older by the time it would be time for them to play James Bond, who can play the character, and it'll be a nice reset, I think, which is what you need to do at this point. You're you're at a milestone Bond movie. There's no reason to rush into a new era. And I know that this character prints money and is very popular. You can still make money with 007 movies if James Bond is not 007. Call me crazy, but I still think that that's a possibility. And again, it's still a wait and see thing because Lashana Lynch's character has to be great in this movie in order for that to happen. At the same time, I think that it's a good opportunity. I just hope that they realize the same thing and have the guts to take it. Now, how about we lighten things up a bit with some trailer talk and talk about the Lego Star Wars holiday special, which is going to be streaming on Disney Plus on November the 17th. And I got to say, first of all, I, I again, I've said it earlier, there's nothing wrong with just having fun, right? Now, I know how terrible that original holiday special was and how awkward it was. And uh, Okay, th- this is Lego. All bets are off. There are no rules. When you talk about Lego, right? So Ray finds this key that allows her to travel through all of the different Star Wars timelines. So it's basically all the kids are going to be in the pool for this one. So, I mean, you've got young Luke, you've got older Luke, you've got younger Han, older Han, you've got Darth Vader, you've got the, the Emperor involved in this. You even have the Mandalorian and Baby Yoda. But I really think that that one is going to be really quick. I don't, I don't think that one's going to drag out too long. But how could you not have the child in in the holiday special. I'm just going to throw that out there just for, you know, because it makes sense. I'm just saying that this, there's, clearly this is something that's not trying to take itself too seriously, so I don't think that we should either. You get to see Ray go through all these different timelines, and there's these awkward lines where you've got, like, Vader's traveling with her at one point and, he, and sees young Luke and says, my son, and oh, wait, look at the binary sons sort of thing. I love that part of the trailer because Luke doesn't know that's his father yet, right? So, again, and and they're celebrating Life Day. They're not celebrating Christmas or celebrating Life Day. So it's a little bit different in this Lego Star Wars holiday special, which is, I mean, fine by me. And, again, this just looks like a fun thing that, you know, parents and kids can enjoy. It seems like it's going to be a classic Lego-style adventure that, that just allows you to not have to think about canon and not have to think about, you know, how this all makes sense or how this all comes together. You know how it all comes together? You slap the you snap the blocks together. That's how it all comes together. Okay? So just just sit back on November the 17th on Disney Plus and enjoy it. Plus think about it. You've got 
you've got that, and then you've got the Mandalorian like like the next day. So you get the double dose of Star Wars coming up in a couple weeks. And how is it possible that you wouldn't enjoy just the possibility of that, right? And well, I mean, it's a couple days later, later separation, but still, two new Star Wars things in one week. Yeah, I'll go ahead and take that. So just yeah, go ahead, bring on this holiday special. I'm ready for it. Here's something I didn't expect to see: Jim Gaffigan joining the Arrowverse. Yes, the comedian, stand-up comedian. Jim Gaffigan has been cast in DC Stargirl. And before you roll your eyes and go, really? What? What are we talking about here? The character that he's going to play is Thunderbolts. Now, if you're clicking your pen and trying to figure out who Thunderbolt is, I mean, again, I'm not super familiar with the character either. But this is a character that, you know, can grant wishes. Now, this tends to, you know unravel things a bit at times, maybe cause a little bit of chaos, but, you know, his his heart's in the right place, if nothing else. And Gaffigan is going to be voicing this character. Very important, because I know that Jim Gaffigan probably wouldn't want to, he would if he had to, but he doesn't necessarily want to go in there and start hitting the gym to get in superhero shape, right? And and who would blame him? It just takes a long time, and not all of us are Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Let's just put it that way. But we might find out why that pen is so dangerous coming up in season two. This was, by the way, first reported by Entertainment Weekly. I want to make sure I point that out. But, I mean, I think it's fun. This character seems to suit Jim Gaffigan's delivery and his persona very, very well. And, again, it's just the voice of the character. It doesn't say how many episodes he's going to be in exactly or anything. But, I mean, he's already joining a couple of other new characters. We knew we were going to get Eclipso in season two of... DC Stargirl, we are, of course, that's going to be happening. That that part's been cast. Also, Shade is going to be coming to season two of Stargirl as well. So I don't think they're done announcing new characters yet, but those are the major ones that we're going to see in this upcoming season. And yes, Stargirl is filming right now, even though it's not. It was the release date wasn't announced in that original slate coming up for early 2021 on the CW, but you know, probably mid to late. 2021, again, all of this contingent on, you know, COVID-19 filming abilities and all these other things. There's a whole bunch of stuff that's still kind of up in the air here. So, you know, you kind of wait and see what these release dates are going to be and if they're going to hit them sort of thing. We'll see. It's, It's just a wait and see type of scenario. But Jim Gaffigan joining the Arrowverse is not something I thought that I would say out loud and mean it, but at the same time, you, you you take a look at the surface, and you once you get all the information, you go, yeah, you know what, that could that could actually work. That could actually be pretty fun, especially if you're a Jim Gaffigan fan. If I'd have told you that you were going to be seeing Bill Burr in The Mandalorian, you probably thought it was nuts, but that happened. So yeah, give Jim Gaffigan a chance. Let's see how he does playing Thunderbolt. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Again, I want to thank Bradley James. For joining this, me this week to talk about The Liberator on Netflix, which you can stream on Veterans Day, November the 11th, exclusively on Netflix. It's a quick binge. Go ahead, four episodes. Block yourself out some time for that. If you want to find out more from us, always go to our other website, downandnerdypodcast.com. And also follow along on social media, at downandnerdy757 on Twitter and on Instagram, and at downandnerdy on Facebook. Remember, you never have to apologize for being a nerd, so let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds.